Hey, podcast listener. Are you working so hard you wonder if the money is even worth it? If you're like most CPAs I work with, you have way too much to do, you feel relentless deadline pressure, and worst of all, you feel torn between serving clients and being with family. What if I told you you could work a 40-hour week without losing a dime? I know it sounds impossible, but my Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is designed for CPAs just like you who want to get their lives back. Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is launching soon. In it, you'll learn how to start getting your time back week by week, make your workload manageable while still bringing in plenty of revenue, what to put in your packages and how to price them, and so much more. Don't leave your future to chance. CPA Mastermind will get you on the same profitable path you've been searching for. With unlimited coaching, your success is guaranteed. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there. You feel like you want to work your way up to the biggest price, but that sets a low anchor. So that 10,000 made 5,000 sound much better once you got to it. Whereas if you had started at 2,500 and worked your way up, they've completely tuned out by the time you get to that 10,000 and they're probably gonna settle at a $2,500 package or even wanna go down. Welcome to the She Thinks Big podcast where you'll hear from women entrepreneurs who are doing good in the world from spark to screw up to success. Thinking big is in their core. It's in yours and it's in mine. I've traveled to 50 countries and seven continents, done an Ironman and co-founded a company that has generated millions of dollars for sustainability. My name is Geraldine Carter, and I'm delighted to share with you conversations and coaching with amazing women. Time to get inspired and grow your impact. Today's guest is Melina Palmer. Melina helps companies of all sizes to incorporate behavioral economics into their businesses to make them more brain friendly and increase conversions and ROI. Melina hosts the Brainy Business Podcast, where she serves up brain friendly concepts every week. In this episode, we talk not just about behavioral economics, but how to apply these important concepts in your business. Because if you're doing it wrong, you could be sending customers in the other direction. After listening to this episode, you will rethink how you package your offerings and how you talk about your prices that makes people more likely to buy from you and buy more of the things you know they need from you. You'll also considering shifting all the crap that you say to yourself, because we will talk about how your brain goes and creates what it believes to be true. If you want running and growing your business to be that much easier, stick around for Melina Palmer. Melina, welcome to She Thinks Big podcast. Oh yeah. Thanks for having me. Oh, come on. Show more enthusiasm. Woo woo. <laughs> I'm so excited and I just can't hide it mm-hmm. all right so we're talking today about five mistakes people make in their brains in their business that they are probably not even aware that they're making because like the rest of us we don't really know how our brains work <laughs> but before we dive into that the question that I like to ask all of my guests is what was your first experience of being an entrepreneur I actually started my first business as a legitimate, you know, quit a job, started a a company when I was 22 or 23 years old and ended up writing grants for um, credit unions across the country, getting millions of dollars for them. And it was a really great experience and helped hone a lot of my writing skills where you would get these, um, 
hundred pages worth of text that had to be brought down to 50 pages or 35 pages that's coming from the CEO of a financial institution. So definitely helped with clarifying my voice and responding to what people are, the questions that are being asked and forming good stories because, you know, grant proposals that are really boring don't get read. (laughs) They still want stories just like everything else. So that was your first thing was at like 22, you didn't go door to door selling, um, like wrapping paper for a school field trip. I did do some of that. I guess, um, we had to do, I was in choir as a, and so for that, we had to raise money because we went on tour multiple times for, um, to New York to sing and things like that. So I know that we definitely had to do where you go in and try to get donations for the silent auction and things like that, which was the worst. And I definitely (laughs) learned that that was not something that I, I wanted to do, but I, I'm, much better at being the, uh, the host of the, the auction or things like that than, um, I, I never really liked cold going into businesses and asking them to, to give things, I guess. Early formative experience. Mm-hmm. You're like, I'm not cut out for the nonprofit world. Right. Yes. <laughs> I've been on a board, but, or, you know, a few boards and that's a little bit different, but, um, yeah, definitely a lot of the same thing. I, I'm the person that's good at rallying the troops and getting people excited. I'm, I prefer that large experience to the, the one-on-one, uh, type of a conversation, which shows up in my business today. <laughs> Yes. As you can see. Yes, totally. So let's go to your business. So give people a quick feel for what you do. Help us wrap our brains ha, 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 around what you do. <laughs> yes. So I have my undergraduate in the beginning of my career was uh, really focused in marketing and brand work. And I have always been fascinated with the psychology of buying decisions, how the brain makes its choices and why people would say one thing on a survey and then do something else or what they think they're going to do, they don't. And, and all of this and how we could use that in information, which is how I found the field of behavioral economics, which is essentially that psychology of buying decisions and understanding how the brain actually works so that we can do better in the way that we message and creating products and whatever it happens to be, which is the way that I've um, taken this with my business. So with the Brainy Business is my company and my podcast, and I do public speaking and consulting, helping businesses to understand how the brain actually works and how to more properly message to increase leads and conversions. Mm, Okay. So in helping business owners and companies understand how their clients make buying decisions, they can sort of back in the choices that they need to make or the design decisions and so on in order to help increase buying basically. Right. And, and knowing the small things that can make a really big difference. It's not, you could be doing all sorts of things, right? You know, 99 out of hundred things could be right. And this one little thing could make a huge difference. One of my favorite studies is one where the change in one word on an ad resulted in a 38% increase in sales. Holy cow. It's yeah. And it's not, everybody always asks, what's the word, right? <laughs> Mm-hmm. And so it's more about the concept behind it than the word itself. But this mm-hmm. one is, um, they were grocery store end cap displays. One says Snickers bars buy them for your freezer. The other says Snickers bars buy 18 for your freezer, which 
It's a lot. That's a lot of Snickers bars. And most people that would be doing the marketing would think, you know, that's arbitrary. I don't want to defend why I'm coming up with this number and them is unlimited, whatever. But when the number 18 was used, it resulted in this 38% increase in sales because of the way that our brain will latch on to a number. It's called anchoring and adjustment. Mm -hmm. So them is essentially setting an anchor of zero. And you're asking the question of, do I want to buy Snickers or not? And then you're in this logical space of, well, I'm on a diet, blah, blah, blah. Whereas the 18 is more likely to actually get through, you know, your brain questions, you know, have we been buying Snickers wrong? What's going on here? And that you say, you know, I'm 18. I don't need that many. I'm, I'm better than everybody else. I'll just fix. <laughs> <six. laughs> you know, so you kind of move your way down on the list. Oh, so it's bypassing the series of questions about should I buy them or should I not buy them? Right. And going to, I'm going to buy them. How many should I buy? Right, exactly. And this is the same concept behind people buy more when, whether it's, you know, yogurt, cans of soup, whatever, when things are labeled as 10 for $10 instead of $1 each, even though it's exactly the same, this is the concept of framing and the way that you position that. And it's like more than double that people buy when you change it to be 10 for $10 instead of a dollar each. Whoa. Right. <laughs> so let's bring that down to the ground level for our listeners who have, who most of whom are small business owners um, in solo practice. So how might they take that idea of anchoring and shift what they're doing in their business? Well, I know that you do a lot of work with CPAs and accountants, and for them, it could be as simple as the way that they're presenting numbers to people and understanding when you're talking about a budget or how much money that's needing to go forward. um, It makes a difference if you put the low price first versus the high price first. So if you start with this, this big package, which a lot of people can be a little bit hesitant about doing, you feel like you want to work your way up to the biggest price, but that sets a low anchor in any type of business, whether it's wellness practitioners or whatever. If you start with this small point and work your way up, the brain fixated on that first number. Whereas if you start high and say, well, you know, the top package is $10,000. And then we also have opportunities that are available at 5,000 or 2,500, which sounds best to you, right? Then that 10,000 made 5,000 sound much better once you got to it. Whereas if you had started at 2,500 and worked your way up, they've completely tuned out by the time you get to that 10,000 and they're probably going to settle at a $2,500 package or even want to go down from there. Gotcha. Okay. So if you have multiple offerings to lead with the highest price one first and then work your way down. Yes. Versus leading with the least expensive first and working your way up. Correct. And you should always have more than one offering and you want to have them be at least two and that they're pretty similar to one another. Sort of this all roads lead to the best possible item. This is the concept of relativity. I'm assuming you'll link to some of these episodes in your, your show notes, but I have dedicated for all of these. So relativity is um, that our brains don't value items by themselves. So a one-off item is something that's really difficult for our brain to know how much that we should pay, what the value is. And so you just won't buy it at all. This is, if you had a, a small appliance store, you sold, um, 
you know, things like refrigerators, whatever. And you decided to sell espresso machines. And so you buy one, it's $150. You put it between a microwave and a toaster and it just sits on the shelf for six months. People look at it, but nobody buys. Our first inclination is, you know, nobody's going to be, nobody's ready for this. This isn't what we're going to do. I'm going to discount it to get people interested and start getting the market moving, whatever. What you should actually do is you get a different espresso machine that's double the size and twice the price and put it right next to it on the shelf. So this $300 big clunky model makes this small one, our brain goes, hey, what a great deal. I don't know much about espresso machines, but this is an intro and look how small and it's red. It would look so great on my counter, whatever. The brain will now logic the benefits of the small piece. But if you don't know anything about espresso machines and there's only one, you're comparing it to the, you know, cup of coffee you get at work for free, or maybe the $5 cup you're getting at Starbucks. And so $150 is a big investment. And you don't think, oh, I'll go research more about this later, blah, blah, blah. It just gets moved aside. Whereas with the comparison point, now you feel like you've made a choice, you've done some due diligence, and you're going to move forward with this item. I love that. So what mistakes are people making in their business when it comes to relativity? that they have just sort of one of each item and there's nothing close to it. So if you don't have, so I have one package like this and one like this, that's completely different. Gotcha. And so when there's nothing to compare on, it can really be impacting choice. So I don't, they don't compute to each other based on what they're about. So all you have to compare is price. Okay. So they might be picking something that's not a good fit for them because the brain is making this really quick assumption. Okay. So is that to say then that if we have a certain kind of offering, we should have at least two variations on that type of offering? Like if we have offering, let's call it offering A, offering B and offering C, that we should have like offering A hyphen one, A hyphen two, and B hyphen one, B hyphen two, or... So that's when you're getting into overwhelm in choice. And so even if you have, so maybe in your own brain somewhere, you know that you have those sorts of options. And this would be, you know, if you're able to, if you're in the type of business where you're having a conversation with somebody and you're doing a discovery call or whatever, and then you are recommending something customized to them, you would probably want to have some of those options sort of in your back pocket, Mm -hmm. but you shouldn't be presenting 85 choices because then they're not going to make any decision at all. Um, Three is where the recommendation is in general, you would want to go with three items. And the best way to do this would be that you have the thing, the thing that you know is actually best for them. So this like gold star, this is the thing you believe that they should get Uh is uh, the first item that you want to set up. Then you have a second item, which is the decoy that would be next to that, that is very similar to that one, but obviously a worse value. It's at the higher price. This is to make the gigantic espresso machine, right? This is making that first thing look good. It's like the wingman or wing lady (laughs) of the thing you're trying to sell. And then you can put in something that's in the same vein, but completely different to help the brain feel like it did some evaluation of the choices. So if you were a real estate agent, you would want to be 
um, taking somebody to look at, say, three houses, two are colonials, one is in great condition, one has a bad roof, and then the other one's a modern house. Uh So if you go through that process, that person is most likely to buy the colonial with the good roof than either of the other two choices because the modern house has nothing that's close to it to compare it to. The bad roof helps you see the value in the good roof colonial. And then it makes you feel like you did some due diligence in your search. Okay. So the brain wants to feel like it's done some due diligence in its search, but yes, but it doesn't want to actually do a lot of work because our brains are really (laughs) lazy in general. Okay. Okay. So I'm trying to think of um, an example that might relate to some of my clients. And I know that you do some work for accountants in the state of Washington. So you have some familiarity with what the nature of their challenges are. So um, what, so based on that and the whole espresso and the houses, what do you suggest that they offer for their clients? How do they package things up or price things up so that the client feels like it's done its due diligence without, and can still be a little bit lazy. So the, the thing I would recommend in that case is, you know, always look at what's one uh, step above sort of the standard thing that you offer. So let's say what you would be recommending to, um, this client is a monthly retainer and it's at five hours or something, or, um, so uh, based on your pricing, so you have that set up, it's, you know, a thousand dollars a month or whatever it happens to be. If that's what you think they should be getting, that's what's the best fit for them. Then you can also have an option that's something that will bring them additional value. That is something that you would be happy to provide the service of, but is probably above and beyond what anybody really wants or needs. So that would be if they want to have, uh, you know, 24, four hour on call Mm -hmm. servicing or um, they get extended hours or they get one uh, time a month that you come out to them instead of them having to come into the office or um, anything extra. They get a priority answering of any of their emails. So if you have on your, you know, service level agreements or SLAs, you say that you respond to all emails within 48 hours, they get to be on the 24 hour plan or whatever that happens to be. And you can make this special thing that most people wouldn't need or want. Um, but maybe that's priced at, uh, you know, $2,000 for the month for the same kind of amount of hours, but a couple extra benefits. And you would start with presenting that we have this um, platinum package that's available um, for entrepreneurs that really need that high touch experience and need uh, that you're on the go, your quick priorities, whatever, and you need answers right away and you want to be a priority, this is what we have. Most people choose this $1,000 a month option. And I think that could be a really great fit for you. What sounds like it's best in your case. And then there might be a third option of, you know, we do have hourly packages available in if you need them. Um, in the, It all sort of depends in the way that you're having the conversation, but in something like that, potentially just having those two choices. And then if they to help them make a decision. And if they say they want the thousand dollar package, great. And if they say, well, is there anything else then you can, you know, you're following up with, we also have hourly available, but uh, the rate is better if you're on the retainer, blah, blah, blah. You know, you're still pushing, you know, all roads lead to the thing you're trying to sell. Okay. So what do all roads lead to? I love that. All roads lead to the thing you're trying to sell. 
Right. So you have to actually know what the thing is before you get into these conversations. What's, what's at the best price and value for, for your business? Where are you getting the highest return? What's the best benefit for the client? Um, You know, understanding all of that before you start the process of, of selling things. Yes, of course. So knowing two important pieces that you touch on. The first one is knowing what's best for your business. And number two is knowing what is best going to serve the client. And in some way, or in a lot of way, what's best going to serve the client is also best is really good for your business. Right. Absolutely. I have a, a series in, so there's a whole area of behavioral economics and nudging and choice architecture. And I have a full, it's a seven part series on the podcast on that, but one that's really pertaining to what you're talking about there is this idea of incentives. And when we talk or think of incentives, we typically just think incenting salespeople, right? Or a discount is an incentive, Mm -hmm. but understanding how there can be competing incentives of what each person's trying to get, what the, you know, is the juice worth the squeeze in all these places. I gave the example of uh, we were buying air conditioning and the guy that was selling to us definitely was not talking up the benefit of this Wi-Fi enabled version that they had, which is by far the better thing for us. It was the same price as the regular unit. Why would I not want that. Um, but if you take a step back and think maybe he gets a higher commission on the baseline unit and it's, you know, 50 bucks or a hundred dollars or something. And with the average price of air conditioning being, you know, six thousand seventy five hundred dollars or something, do I want my model that I'm going to have for the next 10, 20 years based on this guy's $50 commission? being, being different. And I would have rather paid a hundred dollars more to get the good model. That's a, a better benefit for me and have the company and send him in alignment with what's best for me. than this one just happens to be more expensive. And so they price it that way internally. So you're saying as a buyer that you'd rather have the incentives for the salesperson line up with what's best for the buyer. Correct. And with the business. So if they, they can price the product that's the best for the buyer, they can price that higher. So it's also better for the company and for the salesperson that's selling. So everything's in alignment. Gotcha. And then we know along the way, the best thing is going to be recommended at each point. Whereas if you don't think about each of these pieces, somebody could be incenting the wrong be incented by the wrong thing and promoting it in a way you don't want overall. Okay. So how is this playing out? How do you see this showing up in some service providers businesses? It, it shows up in all sorts of different ways as far as the, um, you know, the incentives go. It could be the thing that's easiest for you to talk about. It, your incentive is in uh, the lowest price item is something that you find easy to discuss. And so your incentive in that case is you feel comfortable and that's what you want to talk about. But then looking instead at, is that actually what's in the best interest of your, the person who's looking to buy the product? Um, that can, that, that's where I see that come up a lot, that people look at where they're comfortable talking about something and that ends up framing what they end up talking about, whether it's in the best interest of the buyer or not. Okay. So I might have something that I'm more uncomfortable talking about. Maybe I don't know quite as much about it. It's maybe a new product or something like that, but it might be the thing that best serves the client. 
Right. Or if you just raised your prices or, you know, you have this new feature and you think nobody's going to want to to get this thing or it's it's so good for me, it must be bad for them. You know, you start to have this weird mindset oh, uh, yes. conversation. So understanding if you build your products so that they match what somebody actually wants and needs, what's incenting them to buy. So you build the product so that it's best catered toward them and what they need and make sure it's priced so that it's the best deal for you it's easiest to communicate that thing as long as you don't get hung up. And that way you won't get hung up in thinking that it's all about you. So you shouldn't sell it and feeling guilty. Mm. Can we talk about feeling guilty for a sec? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Because I have so many clients who feel guilty about making money. And I'm wondering if there's anything in there in behavioral economics that talks about that. Yes. You know, there's a lot of research into guilt and shame and regret and anticipated guilt, shame and regret versus actually feeling it and and these sorts of things. So the advice I tend to give is if you do your due diligence and you know that you're building out something that is of a benefit to somebody, it will hopefully help you to overcome some of that guilt or fear. Also, Adjusting your own anchor, I guess, and sort of widening your horizons. I did an episode on mindset in this way of, you know, the thing that's holding you back. Potentially, you're saying, I'm not good enough yet because so-and-so is doing this. And until I can do X, Y, and Z, I can't charge as much as them or whatever it happens to be. That if you, you know, take the step back, look at the value that you're providing to um, the buyer and say, what would they charge otherwise if, you know, if, if the person you're providing services to is making $1,000 an hour in their free time, then you char- upping from 150 to $200 an hour is not really that big of a deal because they're getting all this extra time that they're not having to spend on their own accounting or whatever that happens to be. And understanding then if you can frame it that way for them as to where that benefit is and saying, you don't want to deal with this. And for one thing, you know, because I'm the expert, it takes me a lot less time. So really you're getting two hours back to buy one hour from, from me on whatever this happens to be. So unfortunately with some of that, um, the guilt, the, uh, that might be coming up, this is a, it's a fortunate and unfortunate circumstance in that, that all exists within your own brain. That is you. And so the good thing is it's actually really easy to shift when you allow yourself to shift. And this is, I know we talked about the illusory truth um, effect. So this comes in here, which is um, essentially our brains believe what we tell it them to do and believe, and they will then shape the world around them to meet those expectations. So if I'm constantly telling my brain and thinking all my self-talk is about how I'm I'm so busy. I can't ever get through my emails. I'll never get to inbox zero because I've got so much going on. I'm never going to be able to get beyond a 48 hour SLA because X, Y, and Z. My brain will find all sorts of things to roadblock me to make sure that I live up to that expectation I've set for myself. Whereas if I remember that everybody has the same amount of hours in the day, people that are much busier than me are able to get through their emails, you know, and shift my mindset and say, yes, I can, and I do, and I will, and I always do and will, and I will make this happen, your brain will make it happen. So your brain can shift to what you want it to believe. You just have to be 
willing to accept and and make that shift yourself and know that you can't just say it once and have it yes. make that. Right. <laughs> yes. It's not just like click your heels together three times I know. and it's done. Wouldn't that be great? That would be nice. But if you yeah, think about end up in Kansas. Yeah. how many, <laughs> yeah. how many times you've said the, the bad thing to yourself and knowing yeah. that this has to be the easiest thing that comes to mind. So when I think about myself and my emails, my brain has to think, yes, I'm good at that. That has to kind of be, I always do this. This is what it's like. And until I've gotten myself into that mindset and it takes some actual cognitive work, it's, yes. it's a little bit upfront, but then it just becomes easy. That's when you know it's made it into the subconscious. So if you believe it, you'll actually be able to do it. And that's, that is scientifically proven. It's not sort of that woo-woo space. Yeah. So I have a story about this for in my own clients who I may have said this story before and sorry to diss on Kansas. We love you, Kansas. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> that I have two clients who are in the very same business in the same town. They're the same age. They serve the same demographic. They have the same education. They went to the same university. They have the same advanced degree. And that's amazing. Just to point out that you have this, like, these two that they found you. That's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> what is that saying? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, I mean, the same, 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 right? So if you are to run an experiment, I mean, granted, it's like, a, you know, N equals two in terms of my trial size, right. but, um, but nonetheless, there is so much that is the same about them. And yet they're in very different places in their businesses in terms of progress. And in working with them and coaching them, it is clear that one has a mindset that is like, I can do anything, just give it to me. I don't care how complicated, I will figure it out. And the other one has a mindset that keeps her kind of roiling in anxiety and self-doubt. And I'm not sure if I can do this and so on and so forth. And the amount of time and energy that she uses not only to support all those thoughts and the anxiety that kind of keeps her roiling around, but also the belief or the questioning, can I do this or can I not do this? She then creates, I can't do this. Right. Absolutely. You know, I'm already aware of the power of the brain, but just to see it lived out in that way is one more example of just how much you've got to make sure you stay on your mind and the things you habitually say. Right. And don't let your Absolutely. mind go unchaperoned, right? Like don't send your 16 year old boy to the dance without a chaperone. That's a bad idea, right? <laughs> There's a reason to have chaperones. You chaperone your mind and listen to what it says. So, so like you say, I will never get, I'll never get to inbox zero, flipping that to be like, I'm going to get to inbox zero because I am somebody who stays on top of their inbox. Right. And understanding what my priorities are and what just gets deleted and what is, you know, a task for tomorrow, the urgent, important, but setting up that you can't be as much as we wish we could, you can't be 150% at every single thing. So once you've picked the thing that really matters, focusing on that being the thing that you're going to shift and change. And if it is a money mindset as a piece, I, I remember I had a client who was working with somebody on money mindset years ago. And um, she had told this story about how, you know, this person had that mindset of it's really hard to make money. Money's hard to come by. This is really a difficult thing. And that they had shifted her money mindset to be money flows easily, money's coming toward me, like there's money here every day. It's easy to make money, is just the thing she started telling herself and believing. And she said that it was, she just started finding money every day for a week after, like when she was really telling herself this. And it was like, 
$20 in the pants pocket that you're going to put into the washing machine or finding a quarter in the couch. But she started just finding money all over the place. And then it was easier to sell things because it's easy to make money. You're not hung up on this. Oh my gosh, are they going to pay me? What's going to happen? So the power of your mind we're, so your subconscious, I usually start with this, but essentially our subconscious is like the gatekeeper to what makes it to the attention of our conscious brain. And so it's constantly... Is this the reticular activating system? Um, this is just in behavioral economics, it's, they call it system one and system two. So it's essentially that our automatic processing system is scanning the world all the time and able to evaluate what's important enough to make it to the conscious space, which is a lot slower and has to really focus on things to get them done. So the subconscious can process about 11 million bits of information per second, whereas our conscious brain can only do about 40. So <laughs> we have a lot that's hitting the subconscious and it's saying, normal, normal, don't need to bother you with that, no big deal. That's, I have a rule for that. I know what to do here. And then every so often it'll flag and say, you know, okay, conscious, look at this, focus on this thing. And so if you're the things that we're aware of and what our brain is doing is only the stuff in that conscious processing space. So what makes it through the filter is guided by some of what we're looking for, what we're scanning for, the rules we've created for ourselves. And so that's how your experience really gets shaped. Got it. So you won't even see stuff that doesn't fit the rules of your filters. Right. Right. That quarter was always in the couch, but your brain wasn't looking for how easy it is to find money. Right. Before. I mean, so this is like confirmation. Is this, how is this the same or different than confirmation bias? It, so confirmation bias is a one of many, many biases in our brains. And so I just did a series talking about over 200 different biases. Um, and so confirmation though is, is very close to this in that brain getting what it expects. And if I think it's going to be hard or I'm bad at selling, I will be. And my brain will then be looking for the tidbits that, um, reinforce what I was already expecting. So we could have the, your two clients that you were talking about that are kind of the same person, they could sit and have exactly the same conversation. And the person on the other side could have the same reaction to things. And they might say, Oh, man, the one who's um, having the self doubt would look and say, Oh, that person, they look down at my shirt, I must have a stain or something. Oh, my gosh, they're totally seeing through me. I'm terrible. What are they doing? I can't even talk about pricing now because everything's thrown off right? That's the story they uh -huh. tell. Whereas yeah. the other person uh -huh. would say, Oh, good. She's looking at me. That's an opportunity for me to talk about this next thing. She's engaged and interested. So you're confirming what you already believe. And again, that's just having the confidence and some of that fake it till you make it. Yes. Fake it till you become it. Right. <laughs> or I guess it's more of a look for it because it's already there. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's already there. So let yourself see it. Right. Absolutely. Mm. And don't even look at the other stuff because it doesn't have to matter. There's a whole lot of stuff that your brain has decided doesn't matter. So just shift what's in each bucket. Oh my God. Just decide that it doesn't matter. Right. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. <laughs> oh, that's really freeing. Yeah. Like the <laughs> spot that I have on my pants <laughs> that I wore to the workshop this morning because they were my work pants and I'd forgotten to take them to the cleaners. So Tomorrow, when that happens again, I'm just going to decide that that spot on my pants doesn't matter. 
And if you don't point it out to people, no one will notice it. They don't. And maybe they do. And somebody asks and you go, oh yeah, you know, got a two-year-old. Yep. <laughs> Ta-da, right? Yeah. Keep going. It doesn't matter to me. Yeah. I this is this doesn't impact my brain and I wish it wasn't there, but moving forward and yeah. don't let it hang you up. And truth be told, there are so many things that are more important, not just to me, but also to my client, right? Like they can get hung up on the spot on the pants and have it pull their attention for who knows how long. Right. And for both of us to be like, we're coming back to things that matter. I know you had mentioned this uh, when we sort of talked before the call about the overwhelmed brain and yes. how that can impact. And so that very limited processing space in that 40 bits, if you're totally hung up on the spot on your pants and thinking, oh, who's looking? Are they looking? What's happening? Your conscious space, what you should be working from and what you're trying to increase and whatnot is now totally bogged down. So your subconscious is completely running the show there. Another one of the a study I really love is that it was um, having half of a group remembering a two digit number, the other half remembering a seven digit number. They go through some tasks, including choosing the snack that they want to have at the end. Um, and the people who were remembering the two digit number were much more likely to choose fruit salad and the people remembering the seven digit number were much more likely to choose chocolate cake as their snack because their conscious brain was hung up with these five extra digits, basically going one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, <laughs> and totally focusing on that. And so then subconscious sees and says, Ooh, chocolate cake. Yeah, I want that. And you just sort of point, I want this one. And cause you're trying to, to remember this thing. So you totally ignore everything else and your subconscious can run rampant like a small child or the 16 year old boy at the dance. Right. So right. it's, it's making all of its own rules and following them. So what's the suggestion then for small business owners who have so much information coming at them all day long? Is to know that it's important to try to focus on what you need to focus on when you need to be focusing on it. You know, there's a lot that has of research that's been done into, you know, multitasking sort of being the, the myth. Yeah. Um, I know that there is a lot of research also into the right time of day for you to be working on various things and whatnot. But um, knowing that if you're overwhelmed and thinking about, um, actually, this would be a really great sort of selling point for some of the accountants and CPAs that you work with. But for people, if they're overwhelmed with their numbers and books, and this is all swirling through their brain, they're going to make worse decisions in the rest of their business. Oh. And so if you're not bogged down with this information, and that's been proven for people that are, you know, living in very modest means or below the poverty line, yeah. they make really bad decisions elsewhere because they're just swirling around of like, okay, that's this much, this is this, and what else do I have to pay? I don't want to miss that bill. Is that going to go overdue, right? That you, if you get, to be able to get rid of all that other stuff and be able to clear it out of your conscious space so that you can focus on the things you need to focus on when you do. So delegating away things that you shouldn't be doing mm. is really good. So you can focus on what you're good at and the things that bring money in the door and allowing yourself to create rules that you want to be able to follow. I'm so glad that you just said it. <laughs> Because I think it helps to hear it from, again, another person, especially when it's scientifically supported. Mm -hmm. The value of delegating stuff off your plate because it clears up your brain to focus on what's most important. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I'm a big fan of delegating. Yes. 
There is so much clearly that we could talk about here in terms of how the subconscious brain is running the show in ways that we may or may not be aware of. Of all of these concepts that you have, which ones do you think have the most leverage in terms of which ones to apply in small business owners' businesses? The one that I always seem to come back to that is in many ways easiest to grasp and easiest to apply is the concept of framing, which I talked about a little bit earlier on. Um, But the way that you say something, so the how you say something is more important than what you're actually putting out there in the world. So the, the frame, the same thing said two different ways will absolutely change the action that the other person takes. So an example I love to give about this is if you were at the grocery store, you're going to make spaghetti tonight. So you go to buy your ground beef or ground turkey. And there's this one stack is labeled as 90% fat free. And the stack next to it is all labeled as 10% fat. <laughs> Which do you think you're going to buy? For you know anybody that's not doing the quick math in their head, right? It's exactly the same thing. But when you see 10% fat, you think, ugh, gross. I don't want that. That's disgusting. Even like, ooh, 90% fat beef sounds so great. I want that. Yeah. Um, and this has also gone into you know, doctors who have been shown or um, told about a new procedure and told that it has an 85% success rate are much more likely to recommend it than those who've been told it has a 15% mortality rate. Yes. (laughs) Right. And you think as the patient too, you hear 85% success rate and you think, oh, that's, that's pretty good. Those are good odds. Yeah. And then you hear, but you don't actually think Think about what 15% chance of dying. Right. Oh, maybe well, I'll try something else yeah. first. Right. And that's where the person might say, Oh, 85% success rate. And I've done a hundred of these, um, in the last week and everybody's made it through. And you're like, well, I absolutely don't want to take that then <laughs> those odds sound terrible. <laughs> so how would you do that in terms of pricing? Right. Cause you're, is this like, um, when you come in and buy this huge giant playground set and the washer and dryer and the, um, the new swivel massage chair and save $600. Right. <laughs> um, there's <laughs> like, How would you do that in terms of pricing? So in that case, that is an example of the anchoring and adjustment piece too. So by bundling and putting the big thing out there, you know, there's a reason that stores will put the, you know, $4,000 television at the front of the store when you walk by and you may think, I don't oh. need that. But by the time you get to the one that you're going to be looking at, then, you know, $2,500 seems a lot more reasonable. Whereas if it had been a thousand dollar TV at the front of the store, right. Shifts. You're never going to buy the $4,000 TV. Right. And they don't expect you to buy the $4,000 TV. That is truly there so that you're going to buy a $2,500 TV instead of a $1,500 TV. Right. Yes. So, and again, so anchoring. This is totally making me reframe my, every single trip I take to Costco. <laughs> and, um, you know, Costco is a great example. I did a whole episode on um, Costco and the running the gamut of everything they do from scarcity and loss aversion to the way they frame things. And that in their choices, because they have very much limited the choices that are available, it can actually increase their, their sales. So instead of having yes. you know, 50 different types of toothpaste, like you might see at Target, they only have three. Right. And these are the toothpastes. And it's much easier um, to make a choice when there are only a couple of things that are available. I love how easy they make it for me to spend $200 in 15 minutes. <laughs> I know. <laughs> 
I know it's like, I, I've always, I sort of joked. It's like everything I put in my cart is like $10, yep, yep, $10. Totally. You just go as you go along. <laughs> yeah. This lettuce, yep. $10. I want grapes. Those are $10. <laughs> so, but you feel like it's a really good value from them. You know, they put in the effort to reduce the prices. There's this membership model. Again, I, I have a whole episode on this. I have a lot of, of thoughts on it. Um, but um, as far as also to get back to one of the things that they do that also gets into the some of the pricing and inc- being able to frame something to help somebody make a choice, if you can ever put out that you have a 100% money back guarantee or some sort of satisfaction guarantee, it will always help people to make the choice to buy. Mm. Um, but most people will never use it. And it's, but it does help with their mindset if they choose not to within their 30 days or whatever it is, um, that was on them. They knew, they know it was there, but they didn't take the action versus saying, and I can't believe you sold me this thing. And I couldn't, I didn't even have an option to take it back. Right. Or whatever. Right. Right. To be. So knowing that their experience is framed by something like that, even if they're never going to take advantage of it and the vast majority don't. So it will increase the sales in a way that will cover the few that actually come back for you. Wow. So consider putting 100% satisfaction guaranteed. Right. If you think that's something you can reasonably stand by. And if you can't, maybe you should rework your offering. Or yeah, or the nature of your work. Right, exactly. If you can't guarantee, and you know, there are some people that are never satisfied with things and they're yes. on the hunt and looking for this and whatnot, but um, most of them still aren't going to ask for their money back if you gave yeah. them the thing. And I can appreciate there's some that comes in with um, proprietary information that you're putting out there and whatnot, but the reputation that you get for actually giving back the versus that person, they're more likely to go scream on Yelp about how terrible you are and, and whatever um, to just say, sure. You know, that's sort of the same piece of like, it's not worth your time to dwell on and fight and go through the thing for the, yeah, fifty bucks or whatever it is, where you sort of chalk it up to an experience. Learn what you can. Don't let your confirmation bias be telling you that they're wrong because you know they're wrong, and everybody else likes it. You know, look for what you you could actually learn from this thing, and give them give them their money back if they want it. Wow, interesting. We're getting a little bit farther away here from the original question, but you were talking about anchoring. I know I've got it reframing. So understanding that if the, your sales process is you, if you're not converting a lot, there might be something that you're just framing slightly wrong. Maybe you're going out there and trying to sell 10% fat, uh, ground beef next to everybody else is 90% fat free. <laughs> and so just want to look at how you can flip that frame a little bit. Gotcha. Okay. And give us an example of how that might look in like either a CPA's business or a health and wellness practitioner's business in terms of like, how might they be selling their products as 10% fat? The, I'm going to use the example in the health and wellness sort of specifically, um, but this applies for anybody really, but this just sort of came to mind, which is the, if you know that somebody should be getting a supplement per se, or you want to encourage them to buy a supplement because, or to go to the like 
on the chiropractic or the acupuncture side of your business, whatever that thing happens to be, but you don't want to feel like you're pushing them in a direction, which is a hang up for a lot of people. But the way you present the choice impacts whether they realize they need it or not. So if you're saying, well, you know, you could go over and maybe if you were interested, acupuncture could be something you're interested. I totally get, I know a lot of people are scared of the needles and they don't want to do this and they're not really ready and it might not be covered by your insurance, but um, it could be really good if you were interested and maybe just let me know how many people do you think are going to buy <laughs> in the way that that was yes. framed and yes. so many people not sold. <laughs> sell this way um, because they're trying not to push whereas instead if you say based on what we've talked about here acupuncture I think uh, would really help you and lots of people like you who I've worked for this is where we're a herding species so most people that go in and use acupuncture have seen really great results and people with your same condition have this I would recommend it would you like me to sign you up today gotcha that's the 90% fat free right Okay. And the fear is around being pushy or, you know, not wanting to sell somebody into something that they don't want or need or they're on a, whatever story that we made. Or they're going to come back and say that I forced them to get this thing or whatever it is. But really the way we display the choices will impact. Gotcha. What okay. Choose. And just in the interest of like not being schmarmy and not recommending things that we don't genuinely think will help them. Right. So just don't do that. Yeah, don't, exactly. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but if you believe that it will help them and you have other clients or other patients who you've had who for whom it has helped them, right? then recommend it if you believe, if your recommendation is genuine. Right. Absolutely. And that's, you know, I've always been of the mindset that if I wouldn't use this thing, whatever it is, I'm not going to be... Um, letting them sponsor my podcast or whatever it is, right? If I don't believe in whatever that is, it's, it's not something I want to be an affiliate for or yep. whatever it happens to be. Um, I would want to be able to stand a hundred percent behind whatever is out there yeah. to where I can say, yes, I use this and this is why it's great. And being able to just be really authentic and um, solid in that it's sort of this, um, where dogs can sense fear. Mm -hmm. If you're thinking about those 11 million bits of information, mm -hmm. you know, per second, if it's not, you know, true to its core, that's something you should be talking about. Their subconscious is picking up on that. All that other stuff matters so much more than the thing you're actually talking about. And that hesitancy could be built in from, you're not really sure that it's good for them. And that's why you don't feel good recommending it. So having that confidence makes a difference. Wow. Okay. So a huge take home, <laughs> sell from 90% fat free rather than 10% fat Yes, in whatever way <laughs> that looks like in your business. But I hear the benefits. Here's what's good about this rather than here are the reasons and giving the excuses or with justifications or whatever about why you might not like this. Awesome. I love it. Oh my gosh. Okay. So we need to ask you a question about your business because your expertise is in demand by companies large and small. Yes. Um, and you too have a business that you want to grow. So what's one request of the She Thinks Big community? Is there one way that we can help you with something? I would say, um, like you said, there's this businesses large and small, and I've been working on doing more um, speaking engagements and looking at some of these corporate trainings. So having connections to large organizations that are 
in need of training for some of their teams to understand behavioral economics, uh, whether that's a, a Costco or a Target or, you know, whomever. Mm-hmm. That, those are what I'm really looking for right now. Okay, so let's make it a slightly bit more specific. That's not a word, slightly bit. <laughs> um, <laughs> and are those two places that you would love to do a training? I would, yes. So what's the level of person that you need to um, be connected with? That, like, what would be the right kind of level of person or title at either of those companies that would be the right person for somebody to put you in touch with? It's, I think, from what I have found with the few that I've talked to so far is that it's really, um, it, dif- it differs from one organization to the next, really what they do. Um, but it would be either, you know, it's often that there's something under HR that maybe does corporate training or in the marketing department would be a good fit for me. Okay. Okay. And reasonably high up, I'm guessing. Yeah. If you know somebody, listeners, <laughs> towards the top of either the marketing or the HR department at either Target or Costco or similar, hook them up to Melina. Yes. And thank you in advance. That would be awesome. I would love to see that happen. And if you could do anything with your business, if if anything were possible, what would you create? Well, because I know anything is possible, what I'm working (laughs) to create is the vision that I've set for myself is that I want um, my name and the brainy business really to be synonymous with behavioral economics in across the the globe really is what I'm working towards. So I sort of said, I want to do what uh, Susie Orman did for personal finances. I want to do for behavioral economics and business. Oh my God. I love it. She thinks big, my friends. Indeed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Melina Palmer. It's been such a treat having you. Thank you so much for coming on the She Thinks Big podcast. Oh, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Wow. Honestly, I could talk to Melina all day about this stuff and especially how to use the scientific research and apply it to make subtle shifts in our businesses and the way that we do things that can have an outsized impact. My own takeaway from this episode is to make sure that my own clients are using anchoring and framing correctly in their own businesses. I have a request for you, ladies. If you enjoyed this episode, will you share it with someone who you think might find it useful? Because when you share an episode that helps someone, they win because they get useful information that moves their business along. I win because I get more listeners and you win because when you share something that helps somebody, you look good. So when you share an episode, everybody wins. Remember that you can share episodes by going to the little three dot ellipse inside Apple podcasts in the lower right hand corner of your screen. You press on the three dot ellipse and that gives you the icon to share. To find out more about Melina and her work, her workshops, and her podcast, you can go to her website, thebrainybusiness.com. And I will link to a bunch of the episodes that she mentioned in the show notes. Remember, her big ask is a connection to someone at the high levels of marketing and HR inside organizations like Target and Costco. So if you know that person, please reach out to her directly so she can carry on with her mission to be the Susie Orman of behavioral economics. I love that big vision and that she is thinking big about what she is on a path to creating. All right, that's it for me, ladies. Have a great week.
Hi again. Would you rather spend your weekends outside playing or at your desk? In Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind, we put an end to overworking while maintaining revenue. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there.